We continue in our series this fall that's entitled Epic, The Journey from Insignificant to Magnificent. And I can't think of a better, uh, a better Bible character to illustrate this in uh, kind of a long-winded way than, than Joseph. I think it's pretty clear that the writer of Genesis loved the stories of Joseph. About 25% of this first book of the Bible is um, about Joseph. And it really all begins in the, this chapter that we just heard. Joseph as an awkward teenager, 17 years old, who is given to wild dreams in which he is featured as the hero, the star of the story, and his family members are merely supporting cast. <laughs> and so in true precocious adolescent fashion, Joseph wasn't shy about these dreams. Who knows why? Maybe growing up without a mom created in him a need for approval that it manifested as a tendency to brag about to his brothers. And it didn't help that he was his daddy's favorite and that he always wore that special coat. Did the coat have long sleeves or was it a coat of many colors? <laughs> Traditionally, it's the coat of many colors. It's where we get the, the title for the Broadway musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And um, the, the meaning of the Hebrew word is not clear, whether it's a coat of many colors or it's a coat of long sleeve. The point is that it was something that you wouldn't wear to do physical labor. And he probably never took it off. <laughs> so... He's the privileged kid in the family. But this family, we need to acknowledge that this family had some really serious issues. This is the family of Abraham and Sarah, their son Isaac. Isaac had a couple of sons, Jacob and Esau. And by the time it gets down to the, to the 12 sons of Jacob, also known as Israel, um, there was some pretty serious dysfunction going on. They all came by it naturally. Their dad was the guy who tricked his brother and father into giving away Esau's birthright so that Jacob basically inherited the family farm, leaving brother Esau with the leftovers. And this same Jacob, also known as Israel, was so out of touch with his own son's strained relationships with each other that he sent young Joseph into a dangerous situation by, by shooing him out of the house at Hebron to find his brothers at a place called Shechem, some 40 or 50 miles north to the north in Canaan. And the situation, though, was dangerous because his brothers hated him by this time, and it was perfect a perfect opportunity for them to do him in. And only because of the eldest brother, Reuben, did Joseph not end up a victim of fratricide. But he was thrown into a pit. a cistern. In that part of the world, they would dig these big pits because they would have long times, periods of time of not having rain. So they would put the water into a big pit that would not drain and they'd be able to use the water kind of as a well. And so he's thrown into this cistern or pit and then later he's sold as a slave to a group of Midianites who took him to Egypt. So there he was sold to a man named Potiphar, who was a manager of um, 
Pharaoh's household, perhaps the captain of the guard, um, again, unclear Hebrew, but they told poor old Grandpa Jacob that his son, his favorite son, had been killed by a wild animal. So the ancient deceiver was deceived. And perhaps you know the rest of Joseph's story. It's an amazing story. He does very well, as slaves go, (laughs) until he got into some trouble with Potiphar's neurotic wife, and he ended up being thrown into jail over some trumped-up charges, which weren't true at all. But Joseph always seemed to land on his feet, and although he's still a prisoner, he's soon in a place of leadership in the jail. He's also continued to develop his ability to interpret dreams, even while he's in prison. Well, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, got word of this amazing dream interpreter in prison, and he sent for him. Go get this guy. Because he had a, had a couple of uh, weird dreams that he wanted to have interpreted. This turned out to be a kind of test for Joseph. And he amazed Pharaoh so much that he ended up being sprung from jail and even appointed as minister of agriculture for all of Egypt. And then eventually he became Pharaoh's right-hand man. So the story goes that years go by And Joseph has become very powerful as a leader in Egypt. And then there's a famine. And guess who showed up in Egypt looking for food? Yeah, Joseph's brothers. So as soon as Joseph saw them, he knew who they were. And they didn't recognize him, probably because he was dressed like an Egyptian and he spoke the language fluently. So, but Joseph couldn't resist getting back at them a little. Just, just... A little, you know, at one point he gave them some grain, but only on the condition that one of them stay behind as a hostage. And he also had some valuable silverware hidden in their luggage. And then upon finding it, <laughs> they accused them of stealing. And it's just a little fun at their expense. You know, I can kind of imagine him thinking, yeah, they earned that. <laughs> But he was also, at a much deeper level, he was profoundly moved to be back in touch with his own family after all these years. In fact, he would keep getting choked up when he was talking to them, the fact he would have to leave the room so that they wouldn't put two and two together and figure out who he really was. Eventually, he finally couldn't stand it anymore and he told them who he was and the reunion was was pretty moving as they fell into each other's arms and, and wept. And then they, they ultimately parted and the brothers going back home to tell their father that Joseph was alive after all. And they were all then finally reunited as well when Jacob came to Egypt and then eventually settled nearby in Goshen. Later, after Grandpa Jacob had passed on, Joseph's brothers were worried that Joseph might actually be nursing a grudge against them and might finally seek revenge for selling him into slavery and telling Jacob that he'd been killed. So the brothers, they were in a very vulnerable position with Joseph being so powerful. So they went to him on their knees asking for mercy. And this should cause us to remember the dream where they're all bowing down to him. 
Joseph, by this time, had become much more wise than he was as a young dreamer. And he could see right through their penitence. He knew that they were, they were simply scared. See, he assured them that all was forgiven. And he even said, do you think I'm God? That you need to grovel before me like this? Here's the testimony to who Joseph had become and how much he had changed and how God had worked in his life. He said this, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. And he assured them that it would all turn out to be okay, better than okay. Good. God had a plan, a dream, if you will, an impossible dream, because even though it was given early in the story, it looked hopeless as its key figure, Joseph, was a slave and then in prison, all the while presumed dead by his father. But in the end, there it is, this dream, which which turns out to be God's dream, and it survives. And it's stronger than anyone would have thought. I'd like us to look more closely at this dream. This, this dream that survives. It, survives. it survives even the victimization of Joseph. Because it gives us a great picture of how God brings us from insignificant to magnificent in, in working out his epic plan. So first of all, three things, okay? First of all, notice that Joseph's dream is personal. It's about Joseph. It involves others, but it's, it's his dream. He dreams it. And I think it's an important truth that each of us always needs to remember that God has a dream for you. You have a destiny. Yes, you. A dream that God has given you. It is yours. It has to do with who you are. It has to do with who you are becoming. Becoming your true self. The person you were created to be. And the more you discover and live this dream, the more you will become your true self. This was the case for Joseph. The boy who dreamed and the man who pardoned his brothers are very different from each other. Notice that. Joseph, as a man, had become who God created him to be. He became himself. He grew and matured in his faith. He became more himself. So the more you discover and live this dream, the more you will become your true self. I find this fascinating. And this is partially why it's so tragic when, when we try to become like someone else. You can't live someone else's dream. God is one for you. It will involve others, but it's personal. 
It's unique to you and God. It may involve what you will do with your life, who you will marry, all those things, but it's mostly about becoming yourself, the self God created you to be. It's personal. Second, notice that Joseph's dream was permanent. Yeah, they're all going to start with P. <laughs> his dream was permanent. Now, I've, I've already mentioned this, and even though his brothers hated him because of the dream and his, his father questioned it, even though they'd left him for dead, this dream, this dream was stronger than any of them. It had a life of its own, and, and in the end, it prevailed over all of them. It did not depend on them. It was permanent. And the same is true of God's dreams for you. We, we tend to get the idea <clears throat> in our heads that God may have allowed a dream for us, but maybe we missed our chance. I'm here to tell you that God's dreams are permanent. God works on our behalf to bring about His will in our lives. Yes, God works Listen to these words of Jesus from John chapter 5. He said, my father is still working and I also am working. John 5, 17. God works on behalf of God's dream for us. Or listen to what the apostle Paul said in Philippians 2. It is God who is at work in you, enabling you to both will and to work for his good pleasure. So here it is, God working and we're working and participating together. This kind of reminds me of a sermon we heard last week. So you, you may have given up on God's dream for you because of something that has happened in your life. Maybe someone let you down. Or worse, maybe you were a victim of some horrible violence or abuse. The question is, are you going to let this continue to have power over you? God's dream for you hasn't changed. You see, God works to bring about the dreams he has for us. They are permanent. Now, they, they, they may not take shape the way we thought they would. But they don't go away. God's dream for his children are permanent. Last, notice that Joseph's dream was providential. Providence. You know this word? Providence is such a great word. In Urdu, parvardigari. Did I get it right? Parvardigari. Okay. We, we heard it in the Abraham stories. God provided it's related to the Latin uh, pro video, to see beforehand. Or in the words of Karl Barth, to see to it. You know that phrase? When you'd ask somebody to do something and they'll say, yeah, I'll see to it. Providence. God's dream for you is a good dream. He is a God who delights in providing for his people. To provide is, is related to the word providence. And, and what God provides is good. 
Romans 8.28 is the bold statement of this truth. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. In this dream God has for your life, he intends there to be good. And he is a master at working it all out. Joseph's words ring out like a bell. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for for good. And guess whose intentions won out? Folks, we need to remember this. It's easy to slip into an incorrect way of thinking about God's plan as, as, as some kind of punishment or or, or imprisonment from the good life. Listen, there is no life better than living the dream that God has for you. Now, notice what I'm not saying here. I am not saying that his dream for you is all about wealth or success. No, th- these are a- there are actually more important things in this life than wealth and success as the world measures wealth and success. Deep down... We know what they are, those more important things. Finding true joy, much more important. Becoming your true self, much more important. Knowing that your life counted for something, this is priceless. Friends, this is God's dream for your life. Joy, becoming who you were really created to be, that your life counts for something. The question today is, are you living it? Join me in prayer. Father, today we ask that you would help us to resist the temptation of of seeing our lives as as if we are the victims of fate. But Lord, help us to see, help us to enter into the destiny you have for us, the personal, the permanent, the providential dream that you, O God, have prepared for each one of us and for our families for our church. May the word that comes from our lips today be simply yes as we respond to your call in our lives. Help us, Lord, during the times when the light from the dream grows dim. Help us, Lord, during times when we in our human weakness become confused that we might trust in the midst of mystery, to trust in you completely. Oh God, help us in the words of the song to even dance upon disappointment as you are calling us forward into your good epic story. Lord, may nothing that has happened in the past have power over us as you are calling us forward into your dream for your world, your epic story. Amen.